The sermon passage this morning come from 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, which was read to you this morning already. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8 through 18. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Prepare us for your son's second coming with your word. Prepare our hearts and our minds. Sanctify us by your Holy Spirit, that we may live lives in in whole service to you and to your Son. Through through your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, every good story, as, as many of us know, we love good stories. Every good story has conflict. Some sort of, and then some sort of resolution to that conflict. Every good story deals with sin and corruption in some way. If it doesn't have that conflict, then there's really no point in the story at all, right? If you know anything about books or movies, you know that conflict must be involved in some way. If the protagonist has it easy, the whole movie, you're going to either fall asleep or you're going to lose interest or both, right? There's, there's no point in a story without some sort of conflict. There's nothing more beautiful than a simple story complicated by a problem with the hope of resolution. Right? And this is true because we live in a world corrupted by sin. We live in a world that is longing for resolution, longing for completion. The soul longs for the resolution to sin, enemies, and even death. The Holy Scriptures point us to this universal reality. We are all affected by sin and death. We are all affected by corruption. And we all long for that, for that to end, for that to be put to death itself. Whether it be our personal struggles with sin that affect those we love around us, whether it be illnesses, pains that affect our bodies or our minds, whether it be evildoers or oppressors who hurt us from the outside, we all know this conflict intimately. We all live in this conflict as humans. The Christian lives in tension with this conflict, knowing that in his or her lifetime, there may not be a complete resolution. But we long, we look forward and we long for a hope, a hope that is assured to us by God himself, that he will make all things new and put an end to all our enemies, all our pains and hardships, all our struggles. And that final resolution is what we call the last day, the day of judgments, a day on which our Lord Jesus will return bodily, the day the the dead will be raised and judged by our Lord, and a new heavens and a new earth will be completed. Now, as mentioned last week, the Advent season is one of remembrance of the coming of our Lord in history, his incarnation, right, in the first century. And the expectation of his coming again on the last day. But the question remains, what do we do in the meantime? We talked about expectation and hope last week. But what do we do in the meantime? The Lord promises that he will come to set all things right. And he promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church in history. What is our primary duty as Christians who may experience losses, hardships, illnesses, even catastrophes, as some of these Christians in Peter's epistle experienced. 
Well, thankfully, St. Peter gives us an insight into that question, into that duty. He shows us, through his ministry to believers among the diaspora, believers scattered among various cities and nations, experiencing persecution and trials, experiencing the end of their age, the end of their world. He shows them that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise of deliverance in Jesus Christ. And their duty is to remain steadfast in the faith delivered to them and to live lives of holiness and godliness in hope of the Lord's coming and judgment. Now, this passage is certainly about a specific people in a specific time. Peter is writing to a particular people, a people that he knew, whom he could call beloved, right? He knew these people. He knew and he loved them. A people who will experience the end of their world as they knew it. But he also writes to every Christian in every time. We cannot get caught up in the historicity of the epistle. It extends far beyond the immediate context. It extends to you. It extends to me. Their world melted before them. The whole earth will melt away to bring forth a new earth at the coming of Christ on the last day. And in the meantime, there are plenty of nations and peoples and eras that experience similar deaths and judgments throughout history. Our nation may be well going through one of those small deaths as we speak. And St. Peter's words speak to that. What must we do is the question we must ask. We must be holy, godly, and looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though the end of the world may come, we know it is for our sanctification and for the sanctification of the world itself. The whole creation, remember, groans with longing, groans for its redemption as we do our own. We know that the Lord hears that groaning and promises to come to our aid and will come to our aid. And in this morning's passage, St. Peter begins by calling us all to remember that the Lord is not bound by time. He is not bound by time. This points to the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. All things were created through Him and for Him, Paul says, and that includes time itself. For the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. This fact is not meant to confuse Peter's audience, but to comfort them. It is not meant to shrug off their, their, their trials or their sufferings or their hurts, but meant to comfort them amid, amid them. And it can seem as if the Lord doesn't hear the cries of his people. It can seem as if a day is a thousand years, as if he is late to the party. But this cannot be the case. Time serves the Lord, not the other way around. If we think our Lord is late or slack, as Peter says, we are not patient enough. The Lord does not forget his word. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering toward us. So not only does he not forget his word, not only does he not forget his promises, but even in his own timing, it shows us that we are in fact impatient. The Lord does not tarry. The prophet Habakkuk reminds us of this. He says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, 
because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So it may seem as if the day of resolution tarries on our end. It may seem like that. It may seem that the day is not approaching. But it will not tarry because our Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He does not run on our timetable. He is the author and finisher of time itself. And this is a comfort for the dispersed Christians of Peter's time. Why? Because they feel abandoned. They feel forgotten. They feel alone. Will God consider their situation? Will they, will they be saved from the wrath to come to them? Will they be spared on the final days of the old covenant age when the Lord comes in judgment? Peter says that our Lord is long-suffering toward us, that he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That even though it seems as if he is tarrying, he is really being patient with us. And we are the impatient ones. Now we often use this verse that, that he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We often use this verse to talk about the mercy of God for those who are lost. And this, is certainly, this certainly can be an application of this verse. Our Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. In fact, this is exactly what Ezekiel says. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Our Lord is merciful, and he delights in, turning, in the turning of souls from evil toward righteousness. So th- that is a, a correct application of this verse. Those who are far from God, the Lord does not delight that they should perish, but that they should come to him in repentance. He delights in that turning of souls from evil toward righteousness. But notice, if you look back at Ezekiel's words, the following sentence says this, Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? The Lord is speaking to his people. He isn't speaking to every person on earth, but to God's people who had abandoned the ways of the Lord and who would be judged accordingly. Peter is speaking in a similar fashion. The Lord is merciful, infinitely so. Do not abandon the promise of God made to you in Christ, but endure this day of suffering because the Lord endures for your sake. He's speaking to God's people. It can seem that the Lord has abandoned even us today. We look at the culture, right? We, see, we read the news. We look on Twitter, right? Our nation is killing children in the womb. And they cry for joy when that practice is protected by law. Our nation delights in sexual sin and promotes a culture of death. Our rulers hate what is good and love what is evil. When will our Lord come to judge our people? When will he answer our prayers of deliverance from evil? Peter has a word for that. Our Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is not slack concerning his promise to make all things right, to judge those who do evil. His timeline is always good. So Peter says, be patient and endure with faith. And how are we to patiently endure? St. Peter has another answer for us. Holy conduct and godliness. Holy conduct and godliness. Peter is writing to a people whose world is going to end. 
Their world is crumbling around them. His language is apocalyptic. Old Testament prophet language, right? The day of the Lord, the day of judgment will come to them like a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt. The earth and all its works will be burned up and all things will be dissolved. For the non-Christian, the answer to that knowledge is to eat, drink, and be merry. Right? For tomorrow we die. For the Christian, however, the answer is to make oneself ready. To live holy, chaste, and godly lives in service to the one who will judge. So in, in, this, in, in the midst of all this apocalyptic language, the end of the world is coming upon these people. And Peter says, don't sin. Be holy. Be chaste. Live a godly life. This passage sounds like the end of the world. Because it is. It sounds like the end of all things. Because it is. The prophets of old spoke this way. They spoke about the coming of our Lord in the first century. The language is metaphorical in one sense and literal in another sense. It is metaphorical in that the heavens will not pass away forever. Stars are biblical images of kings. The nations and their rulers will fall. That is the, what Peter is talking about. The elements will not melt away literally. Paul says in Galatians that the elements of the world were what we were bound to until the fullness of time had come in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. So in one sense it's metaphorical, but also for us it is literal. The heavens will pass away. A new heavens, a new earth will come. The earth will be burned up, meaning sanctified by the fire of the Holy Spirit. The day of the Lord for these first century Christians was the coming of the Lord in judgment on Jerusalem, the Jewish wars, the plagues, famines, the destruction of Jerusalem that they would experience in their days. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, he's speaking about something to them that they will know beforehand. He's speaking to them directly. You, not some distant group of people. You. For us, however... This day of the Lord echoes through history in the deaths of nations, in reformation and revival, in judgments on societies for their sins, and finally, on the final day, when all things are dealt with in Jesus Christ. Newness requires death. The old must pass away. Behold, the new is come. So we experience these sorts of deaths throughout the course of human history, and there will be one day when this will happen to the whole world. This is what prophecy looks like. It is always threefold. Old Testament prophecy is historic. There's a historical thing about to happen to that particular people. There's a future glory in Christ Jesus to come. And then there is a final glory for all of us on the last day. Same with the New Testament. There is an immediate context, a historical context, there are echoes of that throughout history, which we experience, and then the final day will come. And St. Peter says that these people who will experience horrific hardships and an end to a world should concern themselves with personal piety. They're going to experience death, they're going to experience famine, hunger, displacement, dispersion. And what are they to be concerned with? Personal piety. What does this say about our duties? 
Is the world falling apart around us? Are children being killed in the womb? Are our politicians openly against Christian values? Is sexual perversion everywhere? Right? We, we can name off a laundry list of terrible things going on in our culture right now. The last thing that we usually desire to focus on in these situations is holiness. But that's where Peter puts us. Let's find a more practical solution than that. Let's not focus on personal holiness or corporate holiness. Let's find something more practical. No, for St. Peter, salvation is of the Lord. Deliverance from our enemies, from sin and corruption, from a dying world around us is of the Lord. Our job is to endure with peace and be holy in conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We are to look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and to live lives reflecting that righteousness. The end of the world, according to Peter, is near. And he says, therefore, be holy as God is holy. Again, this seems counterintuitive. Judgment is coming and the Lord says, keep yourself unstained from the world. Right? Help orphans and widows in their afflictions. Do true religion. Be holy in conduct and godliness. How can we usher in the new world? Love God and love neighbor. Pray, sing, worship, eat, drink, feed, clothe, visit. Be righteous. Be holy. In Peter's first epistle, he gives the same instruction to the same audience. He says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So not only are we to be holy so that we are not hypocrites on Judgment Day, but we are to be holy to image the glorious holiness of that new world in Christ. We will be perfect, therefore, be holy in your conduct as obedient children. Live up to the name that you've been given. The Lord is holy, therefore, be holy. St. Peter now brings us back to the character of the Lord. Not only is our Lord holy, but He is long-suffering. The psalmist reminds us, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Now the fact that our Lord is above and beyond time, the fact that He acts outside of our often desired timeline, that truth is grounded in our Lord's long-suffering and mercy. His mercy is not arbitrary. He is mercy. He is mercy. And this long-suffering is seen most clearly in our Lord's first advent. Not only did our Lord endure the sins and unfaithfulness of the people of Israel, but He endured in His flesh the scourges and marks of their sin. He became sin who knew no sin. Not only was He going to come and wipe away all of their sin as a people, But he was going to do it by coming himself, by taking on human flesh, by dwelling among us, by becoming lower than the angels, 
that he might exalt us above all. He bore our iniquities on the cross and suffered the wrath of his Father on our behalf. And in this way, the long-suffering, the mercy of our Lord is our salvation, Peter says. The long-suffering of the Lord is our salvation. And in a similar way, our long-suffering is part of our salvation. When we follow the Lord in His ways, when we patiently endure the hardships, trials, and sufferings of this life, looking forward to the coming of the day of the Lord, we are saved. Our Lord has been patient with us, therefore, we are to patiently endure till the end. That is what our Lord has called us to. Since He is long-suffering, we too must be long-suffering. Our Lord has been patient with us, therefore, we must be patient to the end. He is not slack concerning His promise of salvation, His promise to come and make all things new. Therefore, we are to be steadfast till the end and be holy and godly in our conduct, matching the righteousness of the new heavens and new earth that will be revealed to us on the last day. So our charge this morning is rather simple. I don't have a whole bunch of of really specific application for you this morning. It's really rather simple. In the face of the coming judgment of God, in the face of the end of a world, we are called to holiness and godliness. Advent is our time of expectation for this coming day, for the day of the Lord, the final day of our, our, of our God in which He will come again to judge the quick and the dead and usher in His kingdom without end. We look with hope. We look forward to these things, being diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot or wrinkle. Peter, again, is concerned about his people's holiness in their time of unimaginable hardship. We should be concerned with the same. It is not something that we shrug off in times of trouble and hardship in the culture. In fact, we are to press into it. We are to be more concerned about holiness and godliness during these times. Though the world is crumbling around us, our response should be, We will not be stained by the world. We will not participate in the ways of the world. We will not watch what they watch, do what they do, love what they love. Peter even warns against those who would twist the scriptures to their own destruction. He's talking about the love is love crowd, right? The gay Christian movement, those sorts of things. They take scripture and then they try to twist it according to their lusts and desires to make a provision for their lusts. And St. Peter says, Beware, lest you also fall from your, uh, from your own steadfastness. Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness. Instead, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be truly pious. Right? We are to be truly pious. Pray daily. Read your scriptures and understand them. Teach them to your children. Be steadfast in the gospel. Do not be led astray by every movement of the age. Be long-suffering and patient during hard times. Be immovable and steadfast in the faith. This kind of witness of being immovable and steadfast in the faith will spur other brothers and sisters to patiently endure their trials 
And it will bring you spotless before the throne of grace on your last day. Your hardships and your trials, your fights with sin and corruption are for your good so that you might grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. And they are for your family's good. When you teach your children how to confess their sins and how to turn from them. When you read and pray together. When you sing together around your table. When you eat and laugh and drink and have fun. When you play those board games together. When you enjoy time with one another. Those things prepare you for the hard times. To echo Paul's words, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to you by Christ Jesus. And he goes on, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. His long-suffering and patience with you is your salvation. And your long-suffering and endurance is a part of your salvation. So this Advent season, your charge to patiently endure in holiness and righteousness is simple. Keep yourself unstained from the world. Help the widow and orphan in their affliction. Do true religion to the glory of Christ's holy name. And this sort of life leads to peace, Peter says. Leads to peace in times of turmoil. When everything else seems to be shaky, you and your family and your church are not. We are built upon the rock that is Christ. Holiness keeps your home sturdy against the winds of the world. So that you might be found by him in peace without spot or wrinkle on the last day. Your life conformed to him, holy as he is holy. To him be the glory both now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.